0: Hey there, welcome to the Kitchen Sink Podcast. I'm Camille, and this is the podcast for women that wanna create a dream kitchen without stress and costing a fortune. If you like no fluff, tell it like it is, remodeling advice from a cabinet maker with over 30 years' experience, then you are in the right place. I am so glad you're here, let's dive in. Welcome to episode three of Countertop Week. Uh, I'm so excited to be here with you guys. And you can probably tell in my voice just how much I love talking about countertops. Um, you know, it's kind of crazy. But I mean, outside of the cabinets, I say countertops are my absolute favorite part of a kitchen because, well, they just make such a big impact on the overall look. Um, they're just this amazing instant, like before and after effect. It's what you touch every day. It's what you clean every day. It's where you roll out your pasta or your, um, you know, your pie crust. Like I love making pies and different things like that or pizzas. So being able to roll stuff out or do stuff on the surface is like something you're literally interacting with every day. So outside of just how beautiful they are and how incredible I think it is that this stuff comes out of the earth or that we make it, I think it's just, I love countertops. Okay. So, (laughs) Uh, we've gotten some great feedback from the earlier episodes, and I'm kind of uh, collecting a range of of um, questions that I've gotten. And, and towards the end of the week, after the bonus episodes, I'm going to go through and answer all those additional questions that you guys had, some really great questions all around Countertop Week. So this episode is all about kind of like Uh, The next episode is going to be about cost and how to figure out what your countertop should cost and how to hire a great fabricator slash installer, what those people do, how to look for to make sure that you find that person ahead of time so you're not doing it last minute, which is what I see a lot of people doing. So that's what that whole episode is about. So this episode is really about all these other little pieces that kind of go into making a great countertop, right? I'm going to define some terms so that you know what those things are, and I find that Because a lot of women don't know what the individual definitions are, they don't really know what they're looking for when they're trying to assess if someone knows if they're doing their job well, they don't know how to uh, assess if the quality is done well themselves. So I'm going to go through the definitions once and for all, because I find I have these questions, you know, I'm doing this conversation over and over and over again with clients, with students. So it's going to be here inside this episode, you guys can go back and refer to this at any point. And remember... Next week, I'll be posting some uh, blog posts that go with this, with pictures of everything that I've talked about. So be able to come back to this episode, click inside the show notes. That's that little description that's below each episode. There'll be links in there that actually link back to our website with pictures of all the things I'm talking about. Okay. So for right now, you can just kind of sit back, wash dishes, work out, uh, drive, and just kind of listen to what I'm going to talk about today. You don't have to write every single thing down because there's going to be links to stuff later. Okay, so first I want to talk, so first I'm going to talk about kind of the landscape of countertops, what goes on in the industry, Um, a lot of things you guys may or may not know, so I'm going to kind of break it down from my perspective since I've been in here for a long time, you know, several decades, I've seen like a lot that goes on in the industry. So I'm going to talk about a range of that in the hopes that when you walk into a Lowe's or you walk into a local supplier in Georgia or Virginia, you have a little bit of an idea of like, what's going on with that business, right? So that's the first thing I'm going to do. Then I'm going to talk about some definitions. And I'm going to talk about at the end, kind of what I think is the most important things about the countertop itself outside of the material, okay? All right. So um, first off, the reason why countertops are so important and why I highly believe, like I never figure out a job. I never figure out the cabinets separate. I'm always figuring out the cabinets and the countertops in conjunction with each other. Okay. What I see a lot of is that the women sort of either pick, they fall in love with the color of a countertop or they fall in love with the color of a cabinet. And then those things are really disconnected. They may have a small sample, but they haven't really figured out the pricing of each of those. And they haven't figured out one if the size, the size of the granite is actually, or engineered stone is going to actually work with their cabinets, right? So I want to know all the details of that, how much each of them costs before I actually select anything and pay for anything, more importantly. Um, because what ends up happening is maybe they'll pick your cabinets and your cabinets are being made, but you have really no idea of what's going to happen with the countertop. And then a month later or two months later, your cabinets are close to coming in. And then there's this mad rush to figure out what to do with the countertops. Then you're pressured. So you end up spending more typically on things because you're pressured to find something you kind of skip over a lot of these steps that I'm gonna go through. You don't really know what you're looking for with quality. You don't really know what you're looking for with the fabricator or the installer. You don't know what you're gonna do about your edge. You don't understand the process. So there's a lot of this mad rush to do stuff and a lot of stuff gets skipped and then a lot of problems happen, right? So that's number one is if you're thinking of doing a remodel, I want you to think of doing both of these at the same time so you really understand everything you can about the cabinets, making sure there's great functionality. I hope you use our process, right? DFIO. And if you're doing, and then the countertops and you know uh, what you're going to buy, you know that it's going to work for you. You know how much it's going to cost for the countertops, the material and the fabrication installation. So you really know upfront that this whole system is going to work together, cabinets and countertops. So that's number one. Um, And so I just wanted to kind of clear the air, let you know. That's how I do it personally. Okay, so let's talk about what you might find when you walk out into the countertop world, right? The countertop landscape, kind of how the industry works, the vendors, the suppliers, the range of fabricators, designers, builders. Where does Lowe's and Home Depot and some of these kind of like, um, you know, what I call resellers, where do those people fit in? Uh, Because it can be really confusing, right? There's a lot of layers inside of this industry. Okay, so I'm going to start at the top level. I think I'm going to start with the vendors. The vendors would be like the manufacturers of the stone, okay? So there are manufacturers of the stone, Silas Stone, you know, um, Cambria, Sequel, which is what I use, um, Caesarstone. Stone. Uh, a lot of these larger brands that you're going to see in more mass markets, right? And what those vendors do, because they're going after a large group of people, is they typically will subcontract with a Lowe's or a Home Depot. They will also, so those would be their larger vendors, right? Lowe's and Home Depot. So when you walk into a Lowe's, Lowe's, and you hire them to do your countertops, Lowe's themselves does not have their own fabricators. They don't have their own contractors that are working that that work just for Lowe's. Okay. They Lowe's goes out and finds local businesses just like mine, because I used to contract, subcontract with Lowe's, and I did Lowe's's countertops. Okay. So what that means is you can have both larger and smaller suppliers and you can have a range of quality of the service, right? So I know that for a fact because I used to be a supplier for Lowe's. So I would get a fax in the morning from Lowe's uh, that would say, hey, this this job just came in, and so you need to go out and template this job. They've already picked their countertop off of a wall, which is one of the larger brands, right? And it's a limited selection and you're going to go out and template the house and then you're going to fabricate, you're going to get the material and you're going to fabricate and then you're going to go and install the job and then you get paid after Lowe's gets paid. So the issue with that, you can probably already imagine some of the issues that happen, is that you have very little control, right? Very little control over that experience. Um, When you walk into a Lowe's, it can maybe seem like, wow, they're going to quote unquote take care of everything, right? It's a one-stop shop. Unfortunately, what ends up happening is that Lowe's and Home Depot are very, very huge conglomerates, right? So they have, they also have no actual control over what I'm doing, okay? So if something goes wrong on the installation, and because those fabricators are only getting paid for every job they do, right, they are, they are concerned with speed. They're not concerned with quality. They are concerned with speed because they have to get a whole bunch of work done in a very short amount of time and they don't have the same leverage to go back several days later and all that. So, um, and they can, but you're going to find that there's a large range of types of people who become subcontractors with Lowe's and Home Depot. And you are truly at the whim of what happens of the person that gets sent to you, the company that gets sent to you. And I know what, probably a lot of you women are thinking, but yeah, aren't they vetted? Don't they have to go through some quality control? Um, don't they have managers or supervisors that if they put the field team together incorrectly and I can see it and the glue is the wrong color, like don't, don't they have a process to complain and get money back or whatever? Um, no, they do not. (laughs) So I can just tell you they do not. I can show you example after example, after example, All you have to do is Google Lowe's countertop installation, what can go wrong, countertop fails, and you're going to see thousands and thousands of examples of what happens. They do not truly have a great quality control system, okay? So you're going to have, you're going to complain to the manager and then the manager maybe is going to come back out a week later, two weeks later, three weeks later, he's going to look at it. Of course, the manager doesn't know how to assess if the countertop was done correctly, because he's not a fabricator. So he's going to write down some notes, and he's going to submit it back to corporate. And eventually, it's going to get something's going to happen. And you might get a credit back on your account, or you might get some money back or check a month later, two months later. But the reality is, it is incredibly difficult to have them actually remove those countertops and and install them correctly, meaning remake them and install them correctly. So In order to do that, if you're going to go through a Lowe's or Home Depot, which I understand a lot of people do it because they think it's simpler, and or you might want to charge your job, right? You might want to put it on credit. You really want to know when that subcontractor shows up at your house, you're going to want to know the definitions and the terms that I'm going to talk about in a bit. So you really know how to say to that person Look, this is what I'm concerned about. Here's where I want this to happen. Here's the things that I don't want to have happen, right? I want you to really understand and educate yourself. You have to be really, truly your advocate up front, and you have to be right in the middle of that process so that you can make sure mistakes don't happen outside of the fact that they have to be able to do their job. But there's certain things I really want you to look for. So, those are large scale, like suppliers, okay? And, and then also the, the brands themselves like a Corian or a Cambria or um, the, you know, the material brand people can actually sell their, their, um, material to a sub, like an in-between, uh, I'm just going to call it like a, like a kitchen design store, um, a showroom, a quote unquote showroom, um, someone that basically is setting themselves as an in-between middle person. (coughs) but not as large as a Lowe's and home Depot. So many of you that are across the country, uh, many of the students that are in my program, this is the type of person they're generally working with, right? They have a local quote unquote kitchen store around the corner. And that person might supply both cabinets, material, um, countertops, sinks, faucets, something like that. They're sort of like a middle person and they're taking suppliers and they're putting all that stuff into a showroom. Okay. So, but they're smaller. The the amount of material that's going through that store is smaller than a Lowe's or a Home Depot. So with that case, it's typically a sole operator. So there's going to be one person that owns that company um, or a partnership or something, but it's still smaller. You You can actually know who the owner of that store is, right? And that's important because you again, you want to know who's actually responsible if something goes wrong, if it's installed incorrectly, if it's not level, if it's, um, if there's big gaps, if the edge looks bad, if the field seams look bad, if the backsplash wasn't put on correctly, if there's chips or cracks or the sink isn't installed straight, you want to know who you can go to, right? You don't want to wait till after because countertops are incredibly difficult to take back out. It's not like just a piece of tile that you can kind of just chip back out, right? It's it's really truly a large commitment when you do it. Not just for money, but the fact of how difficult it is to re to repair it, to take it back out, right? So it's truly like a once in a million shot. It's like when they go in, you want them to go in perfect, okay? So, if you work with so a uh, quote a so-called like local kitchen designer, kitchen shop, um, kitchen design showroom, something like that. The biggest thing I want you to know is one, all the definitions that I'm going to teach you shortly, but also I want you to be able to ask them some very basic questions. Like, what do you do if there's a mistake in the countertop? What is their process for repair? What is their process for, you know, like, is there somebody actually responsible for making sure that the quality is good and that there's a process if something goes wrong? And you're going to know by their answer, you're going to know by how they act, if there's somebody there that's like really paying attention to what's happening, right? That's what we want. We want someone that really makes sure that each job is put in as perfect as possible. Now, I will tell you that The, um, you know, the job of being a fabricator in a land and a, um, installer is a very fast paced world, highly labor intensive. It is a grind. There's a lot going on with a lot of different jobs, right? Each, each granite shop, each, each countertop shop will typically have, you know, I'm going to talk about this. There's ranges of those people as well, but you know, anywhere from 10 to 20 to 25 jobs all going on all simultaneously. With a lot of different customer personalities, with a lot of different types of material, a lot of different job sites. Uh, you know, some jobs are easy to get to. Some jobs are really difficult to get to. They take a long time to drive there. They're up on a mountain. There's a ton of animals. Uh, there's kids. There's like there's nowhere to park. Like there's all these different things that are happening that a fabricator and an installer has to deal with. So trying to blend all that together and make sure every job turns out perfectly, right, is difficult. It's a lot of work. So go into it knowing that, right? They're not just working on your countertop. They're working on a whole bunch of stuff. They also might, instead of, in in addition to residential jobs, they might be doing some commercial jobs locally. So they might have a little restaurant up the street they're doing or a doctor's office or or uh, parts of a hospital or school or something, right? So that company is trying to manage a lot of things and it's a very fast paced business. So just knowing that there's a lot of fast paced business going on behind the scenes. Like if I had to compare it to another industry, I would say it's like the restaurant industry, right? When you walk into a restaurant and you see all the servers and you see the chef behind there and you see the supplies coming in the back door and there's customers constantly around and they have to clean the restaurant all the time that it opens back up and there's almost no break. That's pretty much what it's like being in the countertop industry. There's almost no break. It's constant, constant activity of materials coming in, things being fabricated, things being installed, designs happening, lots of customers all the time. Like there's just a lot of moving pieces in that industry. So, you know, knowing that things can go wrong, right? (laughs) Things can go wrong. So you really want to work with someone that cares about that, that shows you they care about that and that um, they have some process to deal with issues that come up, okay? So that's sort of a smaller kitchen design store or showroom, whatever they call it. Um, So that's sort of generally how it works. And then you have yet another type of a business within the industry. And these are the granite and engineered stone, like, supply houses, okay? So this would be like a Bedrosian's, an Arizona tile, Um, some of these really large facilities that have hundreds and hundreds of slabs in them, okay? Granite slabs, engineered stone, marble, onyx. Um, I know I didn't talk about onyx in the last episode, but I'm going to. Onyx is the one that you can see through. It's it's translucent. Um, These are also in the market, right? And so these are the people that actually import the slabs, okay? But they also sell to customers like you and to fabricators like me. So this is why it might seem a little bit confusing because there's many types of people selling the same slabs, but these are truly where the slabs come from, okay? So this is where I would buy my slabs directly at a wholesale price. So you can go, and I highly recommend, you find a slab yard near you that has a range of slabs. And the larger the slab uh, supplier, typically the better your price because you're going closer to direct. Now, they're not necessarily gonna sell it to you wholesale, But you're still—they import a large volume, right? So their prices are going to be lower typically than a small little store, right? Just through sheer volume. So we we in the industry call those slab yards. Okay, they're—they might call themselves a a kitchen showroom, but they're massive typically. They're really really big. They will also typically sell tile, not so much cabinets, but tile. Uh, because those are both stone, right? So they'll also might have a stone, I mean, sorry, a tile showroom and then a slab yard. And so these are the ones that you can, you don't even need to make an appointment typically, find out their hours of operation and you can go and just walk around in there and you're gonna see pricing wise, typically as retail, price per square foot. Now that is the price per square foot that I then negotiate a lower price as a fabricator. Now, I as a fabricator pass that savings on to my customers, okay? Not every fabricator slash designer slash installer does that. So there's a range there of savings and that's what we do inside of our program is we give you that range of savings um, and we can ship, you know, we have places all over the country. But if you're working locally, what you need to do is find a fabricator that is willing to help you get part of their fabricator discount. And unless you ask them that, typically they're not going to give it to you. And they may still not give it to you, right? Because they're still working getting the slabs, ordering the slabs, talking about the slabs. Um, you know, as fabricators, we inspect every slab. They're massive. Um, they're so big, you know, they weigh thousands of pounds that we actually have a forklift that's actually hooking up to each slab and picking the slab up. That's how large they are, right? Nine feet by seven feet. They're massive. Okay. They're incredibly heavy. We cannot actually move them around as humans. So as a fabricator, um, or a good designer or installer, we're going to go and look at that slab. We're going to look for chips and cracks and any, anything that could possibly hurt the fabrication of the slab. We don't want to buy the slab unless we know that it's in good condition. And again, these slabs are cut out of, the, out of the side of mountains in Italy, like all over the world. And then they're shipped on barges here in huge containers and then driven by huge trucks to these large slab yards. So these slabs are moved around a lot. They go to a lot of different locations before you personally see it, right? So what you want to do is As a fabricator, we're making sure it's in good condition. Okay. So there's still time and labor to do that for our customers. So sometimes a fabricator may not want to pass along the savings to you because he or she is still spending a lot of time getting those slabs, making sure they're in good condition. Then they have to be driven over to his shop. They have to be unloaded with his forklift and then they have to be stored. Like there's a lot of labor involved in, quote unquote, getting your slab (laughs) to the fabricator. So, but that's how the industry works, right? And so there's, there are people that will help you with that discount and give you some of that percentage. And then there's fabricators or designers that will take, that will just charge you full retail. They're not going to share any of the discount with you. <coughs> and every business has the right to do it the way that they want to do it. Um, for me personally, because I made money on both the cabinets and the countertops and the the, the remodel, I gave my customers a fairly generous discount on their slabs Um, but you know, if I was just doing countertops, I don't know, I might do partial part of that, right? Because there is actual cost involved in moving these slabs around. So just know that it is available, but you have to ask for it and, um, don't be surprised if they just won't do it. Um, so that's, that's how those large slab yards work. Now it is true that in some of these larger slab yards around the country, you really can't even... You can't even buy the slabs direct yourself. Okay. So this is the other thing. It gets a little confusing. These large, large slab yards, depending on where you are in the country and depending on how, um, what am I going to say? How much of a good old boy network there is in your location, they may or may not even allow you to, they'll only show you the retail price and they will not sell the slab direct to you. You may have to buy it through a designer or buy it through a builder okay, or a fabricator. Where we live in California and the West Coast, uh, some of our clients actually, before they've even met us, they've gone and bought their slabs themselves. But that's because the slab yards allowed them to do that, to purchase their slabs directly. Um, I personally don't like doing that because you don't know how to inspect the slabs, I like when customers go and look for some slabs, but I personally like to give them some guidance because they don't really know what they're looking for in color, in pattern, in size. So sometimes they'll just buy slabs and they're not really appropriate for their space. They're not big enough for the island or they have a crack in them or they have chipped corners. So we can't use like 80% of the slab. We can only use 80%. Um, or the color tone is wrong and they don't know how to see the color in their own house. Like there's some things that happen when you're picking out your slabs, right? So, um, but I understand if sometimes a customer just wants to do that on their own. So just know that some of these slab yards, you have to ask whether you can buy the slabs directly yourself and you want to make sure you have a fabricator who can help you, um, even if you buy the slab direct yourself. You want a fabricator if possible, who can help you make sure the slabs are in the right condition. All right. So that's, I'm hoping that helps a little bit with the landscape. Um, the last little part of that is just straight kitchen designers, right? So kitchen designers, um, that are not cabinet makers, right? I'm a cabinet maker and I happen to be a kitchen designer. So, um, a kitchen designer typically, again, I'm not against kitchen designers, right? There's some fantastic kitchen designers, but typically a kitchen designer in the industry, especially the last 25 years, I think things are changing now with materials, but especially the last 25 years, typically kitchen designers would only allow you to purchase slabs through them. That's kind of the industry standard. Um, I'm not saying they're not; there are not some people that would do it differently, but generally, do not be surprised if you hire a very legitimate kitchen designer. He or she is going to want to typically purchase the slabs direct from the slab yard, um, and and not so much let you be a part of that process. They really want to control the full look of the kitchen, and so just don't be surprised about that. Right, and if you have someone that's doing it differently, that's great. But just. In general, that's kind of the way that designers actually made some of their money was off of the slabs themselves as well and all the materials that went into the kitchen, right? They're doing you a service, they're they're collecting all these things for you, they're spending a lot of time really thinking about your space and good ones will help you save money by preventing problems, right? But there's also those that will just mark the price up to astronomical levels. So you really need to know yourself what those things actually cost, Right. And if you want to pay the, the markup for the service, understand what you're getting, right? Um, it is not uncommon. I have seen over the years, I can't tell you, you know, how many times I've seen a family come back to me and tell me that their countertops are, you know, like I'm doing the cabinets and they had a kitchen designer and I asked them casually, like, how much were the countertops? And they're like, oh, 12 or 13,000. And I'm like, you know, that's outrageous. <laughs> like that is maybe a $4,000 countertop job. And that designer just pocketed the difference, right? So that to me is incredibly unethical. Like you can say whatever you want if you're a designer and you can get that kind of money, that's great. But to me, that is really, really taking advantage of a customer. So that's what I don't want to see happen to you, right? That's what I don't want to have see happen to you. Um, okay. So that's the landscape um, of the countertop world. So you kind of have an understanding of where all these different people fit in. So outside of designers, the last, the people that actually do the work are your fabricators and your installers. So fabricators and installers are typically the exact same person. So the fabricator, what that means is they're the person that's taking that raw, large slab, right? That's seven feet by eight feet, whatever. They're, they're getting it with a forklift. They're lifting it up onto this massive table that we use. They're, then we have these huge granite cutting wet, wet wheels. They're, they're run with water because we need it to keep the, the blade, the diamond blade cool. And we are putting our template on there and we are cutting it into the shape of the new space. And then we are gluing on the edge, which is the front part, that, that uh, profile we call it, kind of the pretty part that you see on that front edge. Then we're polishing and sanding and sealing and we're cutting the sink cut out and, gl- and putting the glue, the, uh, the sink on, cutting all the backsplash, polishing all the edges, okay? So that's where the most of the work is done. And it's it's very labor intensive, okay? It's very labor intensive. So, um, you know, fabricators are definitely the unsung hero in the countertop world. Typically, you see the designers take all the credit. You see the large builders take all the credit, Um, You see the vendors take all the credit for the material itself, but truly it is the fabricators that are the angels of the industry. They're the ones that can make something happen. So that's why it's so important to pick a great fabricator that you have a good relationship with uh, because they can make or break the job, right? They're the ones doing all the work. So where it gets a tiny bit confusing is that, I mean, for myself, I'm a fabricator installer. It's all the same thing. I make the thing that I'm going to put in and then I install it. Right. And I get paid after I install it. Typically I get paid a deposit up front and then I get paid when I install the day of installation. Now that is not to say that there are not some builders that hire fabricators and they do just the installation themselves because they don't want the customer to ever meet the fabricator. Okay. So that happens as well or a builder, a large general contractor builder will want to kind of keep that relationship to himself. He may hire a fabricator who's going to install for him, but he doesn't really let you talk to the fabricator installer, right? The builder keeps you guys kind of separate on that day. And that's because he doesn't really want you to know like that relationship, right? So you'll also see that. And all that means is you need to make sure to communicate with the builder or the general contractor. Your needs to make sure that the quality is done correctly because again you're not talking to the actual person doing the work, so uh, it it can be a little bit disconcerting as a woman like trying to figure out which version of that you're working with, right? And um, but no matter what, I'm going to define some terms next that is going to help you understand what the process is of putting in a countertop and some of this terminology, so you'll know like what it is that everybody's talking about. And more importantly, I really want to do this so that you are able to um, compare your bids based on these definitions. So you can really see that you're hiring the right person and that you're paying a fair price for the service that you're getting. All right, so let's jump right into it. Again, you do not have to write all this down. You can come back and reference this episode. It's not going anywhere. And next week I will have links to some pages to show you pictures of everything that I'm talking about now. Okay. So you can just kind of listen. So the first thing is there's two different thicknesses of most uh, materials. There's two centimeter and three centimeter, 2cm and 3cm. So what that is, is roughly, okay. Um, three quarters of an inch and an inch. So 2CM is three quarters of an inch, that's the most common, okay? And if it's three quarters of an inch, in order to have that inch and a half front edge, that edge that kind of covers the top of the countertop, right? We don't wanna see underneath the countertop. Um, We basically glue another strip of three quarter inch just on the front. That is what we call lamination. Lamination is another word for gluing. It's a fancy term for gluing. And we're laminating it with a very high-end, very high-tech resin, right? It's an epoxy. It's a two-part epoxy. So we mix together the color of the glue and then a catalyst, a little chemical acid catalyst. And when those are mixed together, we have a certain amount of time to get that strip glued on and clamp it. And then we let it dry and it dries absolutely like impervious, like hard as a rock, right? It's, it's gluing together stone and stone. And that glue joint, we want it to be as invisible as possible, right? We don't want to see the lamination joint. So that's the first thing you're looking for in quality is one, you want to not be able to see the glue of the lamination of that front edge. And number two, we want to see that the, that the pattern, if you have a pattern that it's matching, we do not want... Um, if you have a gray stripe running through the countertop material, we don't want that front edge to look really janky where we cut some a, a piece from another part of the countertop that's just white and we're gluing those together and you can tell that the pattern does not match on the front, right? So that's a sign of a very poor job, a sign of an inexperienced fabricator was they just pulled those strips from anywhere on the countertop when they cut it and they just glued it on anywhere and they didn't match the pattern. Okay, but that's what lamination is. And that's what 2CM is. So 2CM is 90% of the time what I personally use and it's 99% of the pictures you're seeing on, on the internet and on Pinterest and Instagram, you're seeing laminated countertops, meaning that front edge profile has been glued on to create an inch and a half thick front edge. And that's what hides underneath your counter. So you can't look underneath your countertop. And that is definitely the industry standard, okay? So most of the slabs you're buying, when you look at the square footage, Uh, If you walk through the slab yard, you'll see that they're three quarter of an inch thick. Okay. Uh, That is 2CM countertop material. And most of the country is being bid on that, on 2CM. Now, 3CM, which is an inch thick, um, some is inch and an eighth, but it's much thicker. um, That does not require lamination because it's that thickness all the way through the slab. So we're just cutting it for the shape and polishing that front edge. And that's it. Um, and so sometimes in some parts of the country, you only see that 3CM, right? They don't even show you 2CM. I personally only use 3CM in commercial applications, in bar tops, in restaurants, and in hotels and stuff like that. Um, and so you're going to have to, one, determine if the people in your area are doing both 2 and 3CM, which of those, and I would always do 2CM personally, and um, which is the three-quarter inch thick. Okay, so I'm hoping that helps. There is a price difference between them. And also there's a difference in slab size. So 2CM is typically larger, uh, which is a three-quarter inch. Those slabs will typically come larger. And uh, 3CM, they're sometimes smaller. So you want to be really careful if you're planning an island size and you want to use 3CM, you need to make sure you know the slab size, the finished overall slab size that's available. All right. So that's the difference in thicknesses and that is that I'm referring to that specifically with engineered stone. Granite only comes in 2 cm. Okay. Natural products only come in 2 cm. As far as I know, I've never seen it in 3 cm. Uh, so those two sizes come for engineered stone. So like your silo stones, your cambrias, those type of things. Um, okay. So lamination, I think I've explained lamination. I've explained that when the glue color itself, when we glue those two pieces together is the number one thing. And then number two is that the patterns match. If you're getting something that has a pattern in it, you need to make sure that they, that the person that's doing it, um, knows how to match that front edge pattern. And the number one way you can do it is when you're in their showroom and you're walking around can, when you look at the edges of their finished countertops, does it look like the pattern is matched from the top down, right? Straight through. All right. Uh, let's see. So let's talk about edge choices now, since we've talked about that lamination. So edge choices range. So typically when you're costing a job, I'm um, getting ready to bid a job, the, the range of price is based on the profile edge type. So for instance, if you just do a straight square, like, um, flat polish is typically the least expensive. Then maybe you do an OG, maybe you do a bevel, maybe you do a large bullnose, maybe you do a large OG. We're taking routers and we're literally routing that edge of the stone. So it's incredibly labor intensive. It takes a lot of time. And um, so they're charging more because it takes more time to do that, right? And you have to think of that edge all the way around your entire kitchen, all the way around the edge of the island. So the actual profile type adds to the cost. So you wanna know what your edge types are. In order to do that, you can easily just go into Google and type countertop edge choices. As fabricators, we all have standards that we all can do. Um, As far as trending goes, it's really not trendy to have um, decorative edges anymore. Um, outside of like a chipping, there's a, there's like, you can chip the edge and kind of make it look like a live edge and then slightly polish it. So it's not cheap, um, um, not sharp. I personally don't like that because of food gets stuck in the edge. Um, it tends to be like guys that, that like that, that chipped edge. Um, but most of them are really standard. So if you have a question about like an edge choice or something you've seen and you can't figure out the name of it, you can always DM me on my Instagram and, and let me, you know, show me a picture and I'll tell you what it is. All right. So now let's talk about field seams. Okay. Field seams are outside of the edge being done correctly. The field seam is by far the biggest part of the whole job. It is the thing that the fabricator is the most stressed about doing. This is the thing that we spend years and years learning how to do correctly. This is the thing that makes or break it. If you're a fabricator and you want to get paid, you have to know how to do good field seams. Like it is the most important part of the job. Okay. So what is a field seam? A field seam means in the field, we are gluing two large pieces of countertop, finished countertops. They have their edges already glued on, they're polished, they're ready for install. But now we have to glue those two pieces together in the field, meaning in your house, right? In the field means on the job site. We have to glue them together with this very high-tech epoxy, the same epoxy, that same colored epoxy that we use to glue that front edge on, right? Then we have to polish that whole thing out. And the goal is to make it look invisible. Now, that is truly only possible with Corian. Corian is that plastic, that very high-tech plastic I was telling you about. When you glue those two finished countertops together, and you let it dry, and then you grind it off, and then you polish it and sand it, you should not be able to feel it with your hand. You should be able to run your hand all the way across, and you should not be able to see it at all you should be it should completely disappear. So remember back when I first started I told you that's what I learned on. I learned on literally the hardest thing to do. And um that's why I'm so good at field seams, right? And I I can I can tell before we even start the field seam where the problems are going to be. So there's a couple of things that make field seams difficult. One, you have to select where to put it. So, you know, some fabricators will always put it between the middle of the sink. I personally don't like that. I don't like having the joint directly in front of me in the middle of my sink where I'm going to feel it and see it for the next 10, 20 years, right? Um, but it is a small location relative to some other areas because you have to think: in the front of the sink is generally only about four inches, right? When you do the whole sink cutout, there's just a narrow four to five inch um, line where the two are joined together, and the same on the back. So it's it's a relatively small field seam to glue these two large pieces together, versus if you're doing the whole. The whole seam from the front of the countertop all the way to the back, right? That's 25 and a half inches. That's the depth of a countertop. So that whole 25 and a half inches is visible as a field seam. And when you're doing granite and engineered stone, there's no way to literally sand them together. All we're doing is doing a very, very, very straight cut that's cut on this large machine that makes sure that that cut is really perfectly precise and Then our job as installers, when we get those two pieces on the cabinets, is to level them so they're perfectly even left to right, to the touch, to the hand, and then pulling them back a little bit, squeezing, mixing our epoxy, squeezing the epoxy in between it, and then pushing them together quickly and clamping them and hoping for the best that they're going to come out really tight and that the glue itself is very indistinct right you almost can't see it so it's a real art to coloring the glue knowing exactly how light or dark to make the glue Um, if there's a pattern right if you have a pattern going left to right like a large swoop of gray going from one side to the other but the rest of the whole seam is white you have to mix multiple colors right so like knowing how to do that takes years to do that it's really a lot to sort of Make it match. It's it's harder than people think it is. And you have to remember these slabs are weigh hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pounds, six, eight hundred pounds. So manipulating them, moving them, getting them to line up absolutely perfectly so that when you put the glue together, the stone itself is lined up. It's it's a lot. It takes a real art and a touch to know how to do this. So, you know, this is another reason why when you're shopping for a fabricator, you want to go and look at jobs that they have done. And you ask to see where the field seams are and you run your hand across the field seam and you look at the field seams and you you assess whether or not they did a good job with matching the color and lining up the stone, right? Now, there's limitations, right? The stone itself has a slight edge, a very tiny slight edge. So you can never make it completely um, not noticeable to your hand. Your hand's going to feel a very small, thin line. Uh, but that's, that's literally considered a perfect field seam. Okay. What you don't want to see is a large gap. You don't want to see a divot. You don't want to see the, the countertops cockeyed, like tight in the front, but open in the back. You don't want them to be different heights left to right. So when your hand runs over it, there's like a drop or it goes up the front edge where they actually do polish. You want that to be super smooth and they've matched the pattern So that's, you know, there are things that can really go wrong. So I'm going to, this will be kind of one of the more fun posts to put up um, next week, which is, you know, field teams gone wrong. I'm going to show you examples of bad field teams that were just horribly done wrong by someone that did not know what they were doing. All right, so the reason why the field seam is so important, the location is where you're going to see it every day. So where they put that, where they decide is the least noticeable part. Is that back in a far corner in the back of the kitchen? Is it, um, you know, on one side of the stove where it's really not as noticeable? So as fabricators, our whole job, when we look at a job, not only are we looking at the material and the pattern and the color, the first thing that a good fabricator is thinking is, How am I going to do my template to minimize where my field seams are going to be the most noticeable? And am I going to be able to actually get those materials in? Am I going to be able to get that slab through the door, through the front door, uh, down the hallway, through the back gate? Like that's what we're thinking is am I going to be able to lift this? Can two or three dudes lift this? Am I going to be able to get it on, you know, manipulate it in the shop? Am I going to be able to get it on and off the table? Am I going to be able to get it on and off the table onto a cart onto my truck? Can I get it off the truck into the house? Are we going to be able to lift it? Are we going to be able to manipulate this to get the field seam to look right? So this is what your fabricator is thinking, right? So you can also be kind of thinking about that. Like you can yourself think about where you do or do not want that field seam to show up. And so this brings me to, so that's why they matter. They matter because once they're done, they're permanent. You cannot undo a field seam. You cannot really fix a field seam. So it's it's like a one shot thing you get. Okay. So this brings me to the template. So a template, the process of doing the countertop is that once you pick your material, your fabricator comes out your cabinets are installed and he's going to create a template. Okay. Now some people, um, more modern companies use a laser. The laser comes out and literally templates with laser beams. It creates a digital version of the new shape, right? Most of us don't do that. Okay. Most of us are using two kinds of template material. One, they're these little thin wood strips called Luan. And then also we have these little thin plastic strips. These strips get literally cut and shaped and glued together just like a dress pattern of the new shape. They're going to include the overhang, right, which is typically an inch and a half in all directions where the front edge is. They're going to show where the sink cutout is, where the the center line of the sink is going to be cut out. They're going to show where the stove is left and right of the stove. They're going to indicate how high the backsplash is, three inch, four inch, five inch they're going to indicate where the field seams go, right? Because the material is you can't take a whole slab and put it in your kitchen, right? It's going to be made into pieces. So those finished pieces have to be glued together. So he's going to be f- using the template to figure out what's the best place to put that field seam. That place where the where the two biggest pieces get put together. Now, a good fabricator is trying to always do no field seams. If we can make it with no field seams, that's what we're going to try to do, but it's it's highly impractical. Almost every single job has one field seam, like ninety five percent of all jobs have one field seam, and that's because countertops change shape, right? They go around corners, um, they they have peninsulas, they have pieces that are just too big to get on the truck, too big to carry, too big to get in the house. So um, just just expect that you can have you're going to have one field seam at least. Um, Another way to know if you can do one field seam is the total length of your slab. So for instance, in my kitchen, I knew I was going to have one very long run that was basically half of a slab, right? 25 inches deep, which is the depth of the countertop by the full length of the slab, which is my slab was 126 inches. It's really long. So I had one whole countertop that was 126 inches with a sink cut out of it, my sink hole cut out of it because I did not want a field seam in the middle of my sink personally. So I had one whole piece of that and then I had a little corner that goes into my ca- my island or where my stove is and that was where my field seam is. So I have one field seam in my kitchen, okay? So that is a template material and then after the or template, then after they get the template, they take those templates which are life size. They're life size like a life-size dress pattern of the new shape of the new countertop. And we lay those templates on top of the, your actual slab and we manipulate them and we move them around to try to optimize the color and the pattern. It's how we match seams on the, on the actual material. And then what we do is we mark, right? We have these pens that mark on the stone. Uh, they're called ink pens, grease pens. We mark on the stone around the shape of the slab, around the sh- shape of the template, and then we put those slabs through this granite machine that cuts out all the big rough shapes, okay, of the, of the new shape, the like kind of dress pattern of your countertops. Then we flip those upside down and we glue that front edge on all the profile parts, all the parts that you touch and see on the outside of the countertop. So that process takes days, sometimes weeks, depending on how complicated it is. And then we flip it back over and then we route this machine that routes all the profile, like all the finished shape, right? Whether that's just square or an OG or a bevel or a bullnose, it routes that shape, okay, the curve, and then we polish all that. So it's incredibly labor intensive, lots and lots and lots of time. So after we do that and the edge is done, then we move on to cutting out the sink or the cooktop right? We cut out the hole. We get, we have another little template of the sink. It tells us exactly what to do for the sink. We lay it on the stone, we mark it, and then we cut that out and polish that as well. So if you have, you know, typically a a, a bid would include one sink cutout and one cooktop cutout typically and backsplash. So those are things that add to the cost is how many sink cutouts, how many cooktop cutouts, and how much linear feet of backsplash are we polishing, right? All right. So hopefully I have not completely overwhelmed you. Remember you can come back to this episode. You do not have to just try to listen to this whole thing. Uh, I will have links inside the show notes for next week. You can come back, you can click on something inside the show notes. That is the little description underneath each episode. Okay. You'll be able to click on that. It's going to take you to a page on our website. You're going to see a picture of what a field seam is. You're going to see a picture of a laminated remember, a glued on front edge you're going to see a picture of the difference between 2CM and 3CM. Uh, you're going to see a difference. You're going to see what a sink cutout looks like, a cooktop cutout cut, cut looks like. And I'm going to show some examples of jobs gone wrong. So you can see what I mean when I say you really want to make sure the person knows how to match the pattern on that front edge. All right, we're almost done. Two more sections to go, and then we're out of here. So the next is matching patterns. This is a really important part of selecting your slabs is understanding how the fabricator is looking at your slabs. So if you go to one of those very large slab yards and you walk in, one, you're gonna be overwhelmed and you're gonna be super inspired, right? It's just so fun to do this, this shopping part. But as you walk up to that slab, and it looks enormous to you, right? It's way taller than you are, way longer if you stretch your arms out. I want you to visualize taking 26 inches up from the bottom. So it's roughly a third and a third. So if you can just split horizontally that large slab, if you can just visually imagine splitting it into thirds um, horizontally, like three long strips, that is what basically the size of the finished countertop is gonna look like. So when I walk up to a slab with a customer and I have a cabinet door in my hand, right? The color of the cabinet door. And I'm imagining that color with that countertop, I'm actually visually immediately cutting it into these three strips because you may love a countertop, look a, a huge slab looking at the whole slab, but when you actually cut it into these three horizontal strips, you're like, oh, well, it's kind of just looks like a mishmash, right? I'm not really getting, I thought this slab had a lot of green in it, but if I cut out into strips, there was only one section that had the green or the green was only directly in the center, but not on all the edges. So then matching those patterns, trying to make that look good for your field seams is what we're doing with a good fabricator, right? Which you don't want in a fabricator is just someone that says, oh yeah, that slab will work for anything. Okay. Without you understanding that if there's a pattern, a very distinct pattern that you yourself can visualize how that pattern is going to be laid out on your count finished countertops, right? Because what does happen, this frustrates me to no end, what does happen is that fabricators that are busy, okay, that do not want to spend the time with you design-wise to help you understand where that template's going to be laid out on the slab, they will often just take that slab and just cut it up and you'll get a countertop that's quote-unquote finished But none of the patterns match. You know, the thing that you love the most out of it, maybe it was this beautiful swirling green thing, whatever, in this one corner. Well, that part they cut off. They didn't even care about it. So it's not even in the finished countertop. Or they took that green thing and they put it in the very back, like corner by the stove, and you can't even see it because it's in the shade, right in the shadow of the upper cabinets. Or there was this one part of the slab you did not like. Maybe everything was beautiful except for this like weird black swirly thing that doesn't go with anything else. And they, they cut up the slab and that black thing ends up directly in the middle of your island that you have to stare at every single day, right? If you think this doesn't happen, this happens all the time. So if you are a great kitchen designer and you're listening to this, or you're a great fabricator and you're listening to this and you do not do this, right? I'm not talking to you. I'm talking about everybody else that I see this happen to. So as a customer, you really have to be your own advocate. You have to know how that template is going to be laid on top of that slab. Do not assume they are going to do that for you. Um, If they do, that's great, but do not assume that they're going to take the time to figure out the parts that you love and the parts that you don't like and how to make those things look the best, right? For me, what I do is I go to the slab yard with the customer, with my templates, and we literally tape We move the templates around (coughs) on the slab and we tape them in place with masking tape. And then we make our marks and we make, we, we let, we basically talk through where everything's going to go. So by the time we actually cut the slab, we already know that that's going to work perfectly with the customer. Okay. So that's why the patterns match are so, so critical. All right. My last little suggestion is island size. When you're thinking of buying a slab and maybe you found the perfect thing, you love it, whether that's an injured stone, um, you know, some type of a quartz, maybe that's that ultra compact stone, that center ties, centered, centered. Oh my God. That's such a hard term to say. Centered stone, which is the one under high pressure and heat, right? The Decton and, and, or maybe you're going with, um, a, a, some beautiful color of granite. You really want to know the finish size, okay? You want to know the finished size. These sizes are not all the same. There is a large range of size. So engineered stone, for instance, the ones that I buy are really large slabs. I buy them for, for that reason because I do a lot of large islands. <coughs> so mine are 126 inches by 67 inches wide. Very big, okay? Gives me a lot of options. And often I can buy one slab and do a whole kitchen out of one slab. But for instance, silestone, which is a quartz as well, the slabs are really small. Um, They're like not quite half the size of mine, but they're really small. They're like, I don't know, 85 or something like that by 46 by 50 or something like that. They're really a lot smaller. So I'm going to need three slabs of silestone to do the same job. And if I go to do the island, right, since so many of you are doing larger islands, that's the trend, the slab's not even big enough. And so now you're going to have a field seam on your island, which I would never, ever, ever do unless it's absolutely impossible to do anything else, right? You never want an island seam, okay? Because it's long, it's wide. So getting someone that can actually do that seam and do it perfectly. Um, and even if they do it perfectly, it's still visible. So I would never do that unless I absolutely had to. Um, so know your island size, know the cabinets, right, whether that's a 36 inch sink, and then two 18 inches, and maybe a dishwasher's 24, know that final total size, let's say it's 109 inches or something, and make sure that you know the slab you're thinking of buying is much bigger than that, because you need edging too, you need to be able to cut the edging out, right, for both sides. So that's my suggestion about the most important details. For me it is, are they good at laminating? Are they good at gluing on that front edge and matching both the glue color, so it's very much invisible, and the pattern, that's one. Number two, the field seams are the most important part. Where you put the field seams and whether or not they're done correctly are the things you cannot undo after the job is done. And number three, knowing your island size, knowing the biggest piece you're gonna be doing and making sure that the countertop material you're thinking of buying is several inches bigger than that finished overall length. And size. Okay, those are the three biggest mistakes I see that happen, and um, I hope this has been helpful for you. I hope you got something out of this. I know this was a very long episode. I, you know, there's really no other way to do it. But I, I feel good that you can come back and refer to this at any time, and you, next week you will be able to go to the show notes and click on some specific things and actually go see some pictures. All right, so not, uh, uh, the next episode, we're going to talk about like how to calculate the cost of a countertop and what to look for in a good fabricator and installer, maybe some places that you can go to find that person and things you can do to make your job the easiest for that person, right? So that say so you personally get a good installation. Uh, the best things you can do to make that job easier for that person is means you're going to get a better countertop installation. All right. All right, ladies, thank you so much for listening. And I will see you in the next episode. Great kitchen design and incredible functionality should not cost an arm and a leg. That's why I created Kitchen Remodel Rockstar, a membership group exclusive for women that's affordable, honest, and direct. For just $97 a month, we help you explore all those choices running around in your head like how big is a granite slab and which color should I pick? Is porcelain better than stainless steel and what will it cost? Should I buy a farmhouse sink in single or double bowl? Or maybe what type of cabinets should I buy? Should I buy custom? Should I do a reface? I'm really lost, right? And finally, how do I even figure out the ideal cabinet layout? Well, that and so much more is what we cover inside of KRR. It's like kitchen therapy, because let's face it, planning a kitchen remodel is stressful. So many decisions to make, it's hard to know who to trust. And that's where I come in. Look, my program has helped over 10,000 women across the country, create their own kitchen system that blends high-end functionality with gorgeous design without overdrafting your checking account. So jump on in today and let's see how we can help you get your dream kitchen for less stress and money. Just like Jessica. Quote, I can't believe how much I learned already. This was worth the cost and it's been two days. I am so excited to start exploring countertop options now. My anxiety is completely gone. Thank you. Thank you for this group. So, hey, I really want to add your story one day and I hope you join because this is a safe and affordable place for women just like you to explore what they want to create in their dream kitchen and get straightforward answers in real time. Just think for $97, there's no more waiting or wondering if you're making the right decision. Now you will feel confident in every single choice and know that you have created the best dream kitchen you can for you. I hope to see you inside the club today go over to krr.com to sign up that's kitchen remodel today